Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Bring, bring it bring it to the bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City fan for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. Hi guys, Jake, Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. Hello, it's Jay from the Eagles Beak and from the Radio Sports Show. You can get me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, all those at the Eagles Beak and at the Meridian SS. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. I figured we should probably start off by talking about the FA Cup since it was yet another FA Cup weekend, although... Uh, the, the amount of teams remaining continues to dwindle as we're now to the semis. Manchester City already on track to win the Premier League. Take another step in the FA Cup this weekend by beating Everton 2-0. Of the remaining quartet, well, I guess three of them, which one do you think is uh, the most likely to cause issues for City should they play and could prevent them from lifting at least two domestic trophies? I think they've probably got the toughest draw. Um, obviously, as a Leicester City fan, I'm... I'd say happiest with a draw against Southampton um, on the basis that I think they're eminently more beatable than either of the other two teams. Um, But by virtue of that draw, it means that Manchester City have now got the toughest opponent they will probably face in the competition um, this year, even if if they get through. Um, Playing one of Leicester or Southampton won't be seen as, as much of a challenge, as strange as that may seem, given that Leicester are above Chelsea in the table right now. But Chelsea will be seen as the team um, most likely to stop Man City, um, not least because they are revived under Thomas Tuchel. So I think they're probably the toughest assignment. And I think it would be a good examination of Guardiola's squad based on the fact they're still battling on four fronts um, to see them take on a a team um, of Chelsea's stature and quality. And yeah, I I think it's a really mouth-watering couple of semi-finals, really. So hopefully it sets up well for an entertaining few days um, at Wembley. Yeah, I think I agree uh, with Jim on that. It, it, it is tough for, for them to go up against Chelsea. I mean, this Chelsea team under Tuchel just look look like they're never going to concede a goal. I think they conceded is it two goals under Tuchel, yeah. and I think like one of them was an own goal. So it's it's incredible record, especially if you look at the teams they played Atletico Madrid twice, they played Liverpool, they played Chelsea, um, they played Leeds, who who we know score a lot of goals. So. It's been quite remarkable um, how how good they've become. So I think that's going to be a really interesting game. Um, but yeah, I think that City uh, City just look unstoppable at the moment. Like was it last weekend in the Premier League when against Fulham when they just rested all their attacking players and just brought in Jesus and Aguero and still won easily. They just look they just look unstoppable at the moment. So. I think that's it's going to be a tough game for them, but I also think that that Leicester will pose some problems. That they they look to have 
improved since last season. They don't look, at, you know, at this point last year, they, they fell off and, and missed out on Champions League, whereas this year they've had injuries to deal with pretty much throughout the whole season, to be honest. And, and they just keep just bringing players in. They just they just managed to like improve since we last saw them, despite not playing much football. Like Ian Acho at the moment is probably like the, the informed striker in the division. He's just seems everything he touches is like a goal or an assist. It, so I think that would be a tough game for them um, if if if, it, if that was a final. But yeah, you'd think that the most likely winner of the FA Cup is going to come from that that Chelsea Man City uh, semi final, and it'll be a it'll be quite an interesting one to watch um, to see how. Who, who dominates possession in that game because we know City normally dominate but Chelsea just seem to just to be racking up incredible possession numbers under Tuchel they just they just have so much control in games so that's going to be a really interesting one to watch I think that we'll probably see where Chelsea are in comparison to City because I think that they, those two are the, the most likely to, to be challenging for the title next season so it'll be, it'll be an interesting market to see where Chelsea are and how much they have improved yeah, agree much with you guys. I, I think looking at City compared to last season, they've really stepped up after you know their failure to defend the title from last season. Obviously, Liverpool's dominance last year, and and obviously Liverpool fallen behind, and they've they've really come back and proved a point. A lot of people questioned, you know, their um yeah their their title aspirations and that kind of stuff. You know, there's always an opportunity for City to to spend money, but actually they've done they've done some good business uh, i say under the radar but you know they haven't particularly bought in big names as such they've still still spent a lot of money but actually they've they've brought players in who not a lot of people in in this country would probably if you don't watch uh, you know football in other countries then you know they probably wouldn't know those names other than you know the, the the famous ones that you hear of all the time so i think they've plugged gaps where they where, what, what from what they were missing last year and and have really kind of set the you know set the Premier League alight a little bit and, and actually shown that, you know, they are still a force we reckon with, you know, on more than one front and just shows how, how good Pep is as a coach. I mean, uh, I certainly haven't questioned him over his time in, in England, but the media have after last season, uh, for sure. And they've come back with, uh, you know, with, with a vengeance really this season. And, uh, you know, Pep's got a squad of players at his disposal. Um, he's had injuries, you know, but players have come in and, you know, the, 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 the rise of, um, Phil Foden has been, you know, terrific. There's been a, particularly last season, there was a lot of question marks as to why he wasn't in the city side. But, you know, Pep's done a great job with uh, with Foden and bringing him in as and when needed, and you know, to to ensure he doesn't really burn out. But he, he's flourished in in the city side when he's played this season. So, I think, um, you know, a lot of the players at City realise that, you know, much of them are are part of a, a squad and a bigger picture, and you know, they've shown that in the Champions League, you know, beating beating all comers this season, and obviously they're in the latter stages of that, which will be quite a challenge. I mean, you look at the names in in that. In those quarterfinals of the Champions League, and that's just ridiculous quality. When you look at those teams, you read for names, and it's just you know former winners all over the place. Um, so that's going to be particularly challenging, particularly aside of the draw that City are in. Um, I think you guys are right. Chelsea have been a massive improvement. Uh, I think a lot of people, even even non-Chelsea fans, were a bit disappointed to see Frank Lampard, you know, um, sacked when he was, but. Thomas Tuchel has done great stuff on, on the continent, you know, at Dortmund and, and obviously PSG as well. Um, and he's, you know, he, he's a very good uh, tactical manager and, he, and he's proven it. And I would say he's, he's one of those managers that hasn't really been, you know, put up there alongside, you know, the the, the likes of the big names, you know, across Europe. And he's he's gone about his job uh, very well when he's come in and, and done what's needed at Chelsea. I mean, it's it's interesting to see that 
this is the same squad of players that Frank Lampard had. And, you know, Frank Lampard's miles behind in terms of experience as a manager when you come up against the likes of Tuchel. But, you know, Tuchel's come in, shown his experience, got the squad playing as they should be and, you know, playing to the best of their abilities. And that ability at Chelsea is, you know, is is really high. So, yeah, I think they'll they'll pose a, a threat to City in that game. But, and... But if they get to the final, I, I can't see anybody beating City. I think Chelsea are the ones in the way um, at the moment. And uh, if you know Chelsea on their day, they could they could threaten City. I'm, I'm I'm really intrigued to watch that game. To be quite honest with you, in a in a semi final at Wembley, it's gonna it's gonna be mouth watering for the for the neutral for sure. Um, but I think City will just have the edge, and it's difficult to see them not not taking a quadruple this year. To be quite honest with you, but. Um, I think the Champions League is probably the one that uh, is going to be a challenge, particularly that side to draw the rim. But it's it's amazing to watch City play football this year and how they've battled back from you know what was a disappointing year for them last year. Um, it's been a diff- disappointing year for everybody, um, let, let alone footballers. But obviously, you know, when it comes to you know coming back and, and defending the title, it was, it was disappointing from City. They just met the juggernaut that was Liverpool, who are who are the former shadow of, of themselves. I think Liverpool Liverpool can probably look at City this year and look at how they've approached um you know their their season their campaign um and they can probably you know look at that with a bit of hope in their own in their own minds you know ahead of next season uh, potentially but yeah I, I like what city have done um and they just look like a juggernaut at the moment don't they and and very little is going to stand in their way yeah, I think a lot of good points made there. I think we're all just hoping for a Kalechi Nacho revenge game uh, between <laughs> City and Leicester. But Chelsea, obviously, yeah, definitely a formidable side under Tuchel thus far. I actually wanted to dive into them a little bit more as well because it feels like they haven't been getting massive wins, at least domestically. Um, but they've just kind of been plugging along. They have the second most points since Tuchel took over in the league behind only Manchester City. Um, and I was just curious what you guys have made of the job that he's done thus far. I know you just touched on it some. The attack maybe still needs a little bit of work, but the defense has been outstanding. Yeah, that's the key. I think all of the um, media attention and the focus over the summer was on Chelsea's attacking outlets for the most part because that's where they spent a lot of the money so uh, Timo Werner, Hakim Ziyech coming in um, and you know they spent so much that you almost felt like Lampard's job was safe based on the fact that he'd been allowed to spend all that money but obviously we know since that that's that's not the case um, so you're right Kevin that there's still work to do I think I, I'm not sure anyone could point to those new signings and yes there are a load of mitigating factors um, in terms of positive COVID tests, time out, players maybe struggling to adapt to... I can't imagine how difficult it is to move country at a relatively young age, mm. um, you know, where you don't necessarily speak the language particularly well and you kind of leave your comfort zone, such as, like, say, Timo Werner, who's been much maligned since he arrived from RB Leipzig. And then to do that during a time where, you know, social interaction is basically minimal and you go to work, you go home, you go back to work and you go home like there's no there's no like ability to socialize or to kind of get used to ingrain yourself in the culture um so i think there's a whole lot of kind of not excuses but things that could be pointed to to highlight where the attacking uh fluency hasn't quite been there and um, but the defensive transformation on, under tuchel has been insane i mean I, th- I looked at the so i think tuchel's been in charge for uh 10 premier league games um eight premier league clean sheets in that time, which is an incredible record, um, let alone when you consider that the team had only kept three 
clean sheets in the 10 games, uh, 10 league games before Lampard was sacked, which kind of shows you that it's night and day in the two. And he's he's brought in players that were kind of much maligned or sidelined or kind of not being utilised in a lot of people's opinions correctly um, under Lampard. So Marcus Alonso has, has come in quite a lot, which has usually meant that Ben Chilwell's had to take a bit of a backseat, which I'm not sure many people would have um, thought, where, given that he was another high-profile arrival um, for, for relatively big money. Um, and so, yeah, he's kind of gone back to a system where Alonso is getting a lot of game time. I think I always look for N'Golo Kante, obviously, um, given his, his Leicester connection. And I think he's had a really rough time at Chelsea over the last couple of years because Sari tried to turn him into like a number eight um, when he brought Jorginho in because Jorginho was his his player um, and he he wanted him as part of his setup. And that just forced Kante to try and play a completely different tactical role to where he's used to and where he's best. Like, I don't think there's a, a midfielder in the league that is a better reader of the game and kind of midfield tackler and runner, box-to-box player in this in the defensive mindset than N'Golo Kante, even though Wolf and Ndidi is probably up in that conversation now. But I think Kante is just on a different plane to almost anyone else in this division. And the fact that they tried to make him an attacking outlet is just baffling to me. But the fact that he's now been slotted into his natural role um, has no doubt helped the defence. And yeah, they, they just look super tight. And obviously, I guess when when Tuchel came in, he was able to kind of just continue the decision around um, Mendy or Arisa Balaga, which had kind of been hanging over Lampard a little bit because of the fact that Arisa Balaga was such a big signing and the decision to sign another goalkeeper and to kind of drop. Is he the world's most expensive goalkeepers? One of, um, if not the most expensive yeah, I think um, goalkeeper. Yeah, um, you know, that's that's by no means easy to do. And so I think because Lampard had kind of broken the back of that conversation by by making the decision and Mendy had been playing well, even though they'd been chipping goals. Now, when Tuchel comes in, he's just kind of got the confidence to say, right, there's no decision here. We just carry on. Arisa Balaga is going to warm the bench and play cup games and whatever. Then so be it. But um, for now, you know, Mendy's on number one and they've just kicked on and I think they just look way more organised. Maybe Lampard was a little bit out of his depth. I mean, he, he had one season at Derby and went straight into one of the biggest jobs in the country, which is a huge ask of a relative novice manager. Um, I know it's kind of become a bit of a trend with, you know, people clamouring for Gerrard to get the Liverpool job after a good season at Rangers and um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer coming in from relative kind of football in wilderness to take over Manchester United. But I don't think it can be understated how much that job must be difficult for a guy that's got a couple of seasons under his managerial CV. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that the improvements of Chelsea, I, I spoke about them briefly earlier, but they, they have just been quite incredible in such a short amount of time. I think that the main thing Tuchel's done is just move back to a formation that was working way back when Conte was in charge. because There's still a lot of players in that team that suit that sort of formation. I think we've seen Azpilicueta come in and do really well. Um, Alonso, obviously, we've spoken about. He's, he doesn't seem to play every game. I think that, that Tuchel's quite um, intelligent on when to use Alonso and when to use Chilwell. Um, and then you've obviously got Kovacic and Kante, Jorginho as well, who plays sometimes. They, they just, they're just suited to playing in that, especially Kante and Kovacic. I think they're really suited to playing in that 3-4-2-1, 3-4-3 formation, just because they've got the energy and the 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 ability to to get across the pitch, win the ball back and drive forward. I think it really suits those two players. Um, so he's just sort of just looked at what he's got, 
picked a formation and he's slowly building it from there. He started off by just keeping games tight. I think that I still think the Chelsea defence is vulnerable if they run out. I think we've seen Aspelacueta look a little bit nervous in recent weeks. I think Rudiger's got a mistake in him. I think that the Southampton goal they did concede, uh, the one that Minamino scored, just showed how they still can just be cut through. But the, what Tuchel's done is just they have so much of the ball that that when the opposition players get it, they're just, they're just too too deep in the pitch or they're just too tired to to actually make anything happen. I, I think it's it's more to do with their getting in possession than than any quality defensively. Like Jim said, it's just the organisation um, just wins them games. And I, I think the attacking the attacking is going to improve. They've just got they've got too much talent not to. Um, I think Giroud's a very good striker. I think Werner. Although his numbers have not been great, I think he's still been quite effective. I think he's got the most goal involvement of any Chelsea player this season. Five goals, five assists, not great, but it's he's contributing. And I think there's definitely more to come from him. Um, I think that Tammy Abraham, in the limited minutes, he does have he does get chances and he does score goals. So they've got quite a lot of quite a lot of talent up front. I think that and, and in the the positions behind the striker, I think Havertz is going to improve. Um, I think Ziyech is starting to find his stride now after injuries. He, he got a good he got a good goal today. He got a goal against Atletico Madrid and he was really um, influential in that game. And I think Mason Mount is starting to to really flourish as a player as well. Um, I think he's been unfairly sort of pigeonholed by a lot of people, but I think he's a really talented player. Uh, and and the fact that you know he's, he's played so much under Lampard and Tuchel after initially starting from the bench has just started to make him one of his key men. Just shows just shows how important he is. But yeah, I think they're, they're definitely going to improve in attack. Um, and I think out of the teams currently in the top four, I mean, take the City out of it, the other three, I think Chelsea are the least likely to drop out of it for me. I just think even when they're competing on multiple fronts, they've just got such a talented squad. Like, if, you know, if they start Mount and, and Ziyech and Werner in the Champions League, they can switch them out for Pulisic. Havertz and, and Abraham in the league like that just the amount of depth in that squad is, is incredible so I think that they're gonna finish the season strongly um and yeah I, with a few winnable games coming up I think they've got West Brom Palace and Brighton in their next three yeah, like I'd expect them to score a few more goals than they have been as well um oh, starting to see <laughs> sorry Jay I think, that, that's I think, right. that, I think Palace have got their results now and uh, I think we saw against Tottenham that they can be opened up so I think that I think that Chelsea will, will score a few more goals in the next few weeks I think that against Atletico they start to show a little bit more fluency in their attack um, yeah I think they're in a really strong position um, It, I think Lampard did a good job there at building a, a, a squad um, but he was never likely to be the the, the coach to take them forward to challenge for, for major honours. And I think that, that Tuchel probably is. I think that I, I think even this season they've got a chance in the Champions League. I think the draw's been kind to them. Um and yeah, in in a one off game I think they could beat anybody. So yeah, I I think that they're gonna have a really good end to the season. I think that this time next year we'll be talking about them as, as potential title challenges because I'm sure they'll go out and spend more money as well. Other than a worrying suggestion by Jake there that uh, Chelsea are going to score a lot of goals over the next few weeks, I, I think most <laughs> of his points there are quite were quite right. I, I think it's easy to forget that you know Tuchel has only been there a short time, and this isn't his squad of players. And every manager wants their own squad of players. And you know Jake mentioned it there that Frank Lampard has done, had done a great job building a squad of players, even though 
it was likely, never likely to be the squad that he was going to end up, you know, seeing through a period of two or three seasons. It's probably he's done the donkey work and, and actually Tuchel's come in and shown his experience. I think that's a, I think that's a key thing because, you know, Lampard wasn't an experienced manager. He had a short term at Derby County in a championship, but that doesn't particularly prepare you for, you know, life as a premiership manager you know, challenging for the top four and 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 hopefully challenging for the title in, in in years to come. And obviously Chelsea have you know had that cycle where they they were they were champions and then they had a dismal season the season after and never really got back to anything like that uh, that that title winning side. So yeah, I, I think it's a key thing that you know Tuchel's brought the experience. And again, Jake mentioned the Champions League. I mean that that they will count themselves quite fortunate that they've been drawn in the side of the draw they have. I mean, obviously you can't take the likes of Porto um, with a pinch of salt at all because they're probably as dangerous as any other side if you underestimate them. But, you know, you look at the other side of the draw and they can probably breathe a little bit of sigh of relief. And, you know, if, if Liverpool can do, do the job over Real Madrid, you know, we we could very well have a an all-English semi-final on that side. And Chelsea probably fancy their chances at that moment against the Liverpool side, um, you know, knowing how they've, how they've done uh, this season, domestically at least, but yeah, I, I, Tuchel. I think the biggest thing that Tuchel's done is is just shown his experience. You know, he he's got tons of experience from, as I mentioned before, from the likes of manager at Dortmund and PSG. You know, those sides, and he, and, he, and he's built good squads at, at those clubs. And it probably counts himself a little bit lucky that he's come in and you know inherited a squad of players of the quality it is, because it because it really is. Um, other than probably the back line is probably the the dodgy part of it. I, I just wanted to pick up on one of the points that Jim made as well. Actually, I think it's I think it's easy to to point a finger at the likes of uh, Werner and uh, Havertz. I mean, they were fantastic players at Bundesliga. I watched a lot of Bundesliga football, and it was a bit of a wrench to see Havertz leave the Bundesliga to come over to the Premier League. But I, I think the biggest thing about that is, you know, they're both young players, and you know, often it takes players a long time or can take players a long time to settle uh, in another country let alone a country that is in lockdown and you can't you, you can't get to know people socially and stuff like that so I expect that to make that a hundred times harder than it than it ever would be for any player to come over to this country so I think you have to you know act with a bit of caution when when you know fans and, and the media perhaps peer point a finger at such players and you know you've got to remember that you know Werner was you know, the main striker for Leipzig. He, he's not playing as the main striker for Chelsea. He's playing um, pretty much, a, you know, a wide position most of the time when he when he plays for Chelsea. So it's... Even when you know, he's not asked position. to, there was that uh, audio yeah. clip of Tuchel <laughs> yelling at him to play up front. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And it's, you know, he, he looks a different player to when he was at Leipzig because, you know, he was that main guy in the centre and that's how he scored all his goals. And it's very different at Chelsea, but... You know, th- th- there is a lot more quality at Chelsea, arguably, than than what he had at Leipzig. So, you know, it's it's a settling in process, and we know, you know, players have come across come over here in the past and taken time to settle. The, the the biggest one I can remember is Thierry Henry. I mean, his first season at Arsenal, uh, you know, wasn't anything to write home about, and then obviously the rest is history. So, you know, there's this, you know, there's people, there's players that have gone before him, and and I think that will only that'll only be a good thing for 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 Chelsea and Tuchel with with those players you know being able to settle properly once you know we start coming out of this uh lockdown period and and things can start coming back to some kind of normality at least for you know 
um, for the footballers. <laughs> it sounds odd, doesn't it? Because footballers are, uh, you know, still playing football, still doing what they would normally do anyway. But it, it must be still quite odd for them. So, yeah, it's a difficult one. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how how Chelsea do over the next 12 to 18 months and, and see how Tuchel you know, kind of manipulates the side, uh, moulds the side into something that he thinks will be a title-challenging side. I don't think they're that far away. And, and, and as Jake rightly mentioned, the defence is uh, is a little bit dodgy. You know, Silva, I think he's, he's he's been fantastic addition. You know, even at his age, um, I think he's been really good. Obviously, injury-prone, which isn't great for... Uh, great for uh, Chelsea, but um, if he can sort out that that back line uh, and bring in some reinforcements that he needs there, then they, they could be a real force. Yeah, a lot of you sound pretty optimistic about both him at, at Chelsea this year and next for this year. Uh, we talked about West Ham a couple of weeks ago about how how good they were looking, and they've just continued to to go from strength to strength. Although the draw today will be disappointing considering the the 3-0 lead that they had. But do you think Chelsea will be able to hold off the likes of West Ham and Liverpool and Everton if something magical happened Tottenham? Yeah, it's tricky because it's. I think that fourth place is... I mean, Liverpool aren't out of it, um, but I think it's probably between Chelsea and West Ham. And then the advantage that West Ham have got is that they don't play twice a week like Chelsea will continue to do um, for a little while. And obviously, if they beat Porto um, in the next round of the Champions League, then you're going to have another two-legged um, semi-final to play as well. And whether or not that's going to impact upon their ability to deliver week on week in the Premier League. But it certainly doesn't appear to have been the case um, yet. And um, as Jake and Jay have rightly pointed out, um, Chelsea squad is one of the deepest in the Premier League. So if you know, it's all very well saying, "Oh, West Ham have had the extra rest," but Chelsea can essentially probably make eleven changes and still have a ridiculously good Premier League team um, on a Saturday or a Sunday, having played midweek. So I don't think we can necessarily point to that as the key factor. It's just whether or not I think it's more down to like whether West Ham can stay the course from a, a mental point of view. Like today, you're right, Kev. The results actually recently haven't been great but they will probably be as disappointed with today as any given the fact that they had a really commanding 3-0 lead over Arsenal and let it slip and then were kind of clinging on a little bit at the end so I think it's more of like a mentality thing from a West Ham perspective because they're not a team that are regularly in that situation um, and I think we probably saw it a little bit with Leicester last season as well like not to just bring it back to Leicester but yes there were injuries after lockdown but we're also not a team that are regularly accustomed to being in the top four race. And I think there was part of our team and our squad that it's not the same squad that won the Premier League and got into the Champions League a few years ago. So a lot of these guys are fresh-faced and they've never played in that level of competition before and have never been in that pressure cooker situation of trying to maintain the top four place. And I think that strain eventually told. And I think West Ham will have a similar situation now where their mental fortitude will be... uh, examined as much as their physical um, attributes will. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out because it could be a really, really tight race. I mean, Tottenham aren't out of it either. There's only four points as it stands between uh, West Ham, Liverpool, Everton and Tottenham. Uh, granted, there's games in hand and stuff to, to be worked out. But that race for the for fourth slash fifth place, like, and Chelsea are only two points ahead of that. So six points between five teams is, is going to be exciting with... Um, you know, eight or nine games of the season to go for sure. Yeah, it's, it's 
it's an interesting one. I think that I was excited for the top four race a couple of weeks ago, but I think that my my view was that I thought it was more likely that Manchester United or Leicester would fall out of it than than Chelsea. I just you know I just think Chelsea that their upcoming fixtures as well, like the next three West. I know I said about it earlier. I don't want to say it again with Jake. Oh Jake, cool, stop but, it. <laughs> their next three, I just think Brighton, Palace, and West Brom. They're probably going to win all three of those. Then if you add, then they're on sixty points and. The gap's only going to increase. I think there's more chance of Chelsea finishing second than there is of them finish outside of the top four, to be honest. So it they're going to need Manchester United or, or Leicester to really start to drop points. And I think that they've got too big of a gap now. I think the last couple of weeks, they've both picked up a couple of crucial wins. Um, the win over City for Manchester United is so, so crucial. So I, I just think it's going to be the ones in the top four for me. I just can't see any of the chasing back get there. Liverpool the one, but Liverpool need to go on that sort of run that they went on in the last couple of years, where they need to win pretty much every game now to get in there. And uh, I think they're going to start to switch focus to the Champions League a little bit. Um, yeah, I can't see that. Um, Tottenham are the ones, but it's just... <laughs> I Beating Villa at the moment, at the time of recording, that could probably change by the time this goes out. But I just can't see them putting together a, a run of wins with the, the turmoil that's going on in the, in the changer in there. So, yeah, I just think it's going to be the current top four. I think West Ham are going to push... Might be able to push them close, but yeah, I think today's going to be a massive mental blow for them. And and with West Ham, one or two injuries to, to Antonio or, or Rice or Suchek, I think they don't have the depth. To or Lingard. That, although they're not in European. <laughs> exactly. All of a sudden is yeah, super it, crucial. Yeah, exactly. I think that although they've got, you know, they don't have European football, I just think an, an injury or two could, could be really de- devastating for them, whereas... Whereas Chelsea, we, we spoke about their squad depth, they, they could cope with an injury anywhere on the pitch, really, apart from in goal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, even Kepler's been keeping clean sheets recently, so maybe maybe they can there as well. But yeah, I just can't see Chelsea falling out of that. I think, I think they're more likely to finish higher up the table than lower down it. Yeah, it's a fascinating running, I think. When you look at a table and, and should Spurs get the win as we're recording tonight, they're playing Villa and they're one and up, as you well know, Kev. Um, you know, Spurs are just on the fringes there, 48 points, all all of the top teams other than City. City played a game more than everybody else, but we can count them out of this, uh, you know, this conversation. But we're looking at, you know, everyone, everyone keeps saying West Ham, you know, are, are, are just going to fall away, but they're not. You know, I know I know today they were 3-0 up and they drew 3-3, but, and, and that could be a... Uh, a, a negative, you know, aspect mentally for, for them, but actually they're still picking up points, you know, against everybody they're playing pretty much. So it's difficult to count them out. I mean, today, if they'd have, if they'd have held on for the win today, then, you know, you could probably count them as, as real challengers for a top four spot. And I don't see them falling away quite as much as people are saying, other than, you know, for, for injuries, because they just don't have the depth in their squad. I think Spurs are probably the ones that I, you know, because out of Europa League, they're going to, they're going to want to, have a run to the end of the season now and, and just make up for, you know, that disappointment of last week. And yeah, I, I think Spurs are probably the ones that they need to look out for. But, you know, as, as Jake's mentioned on a number of occasions, Chelsea have a, a next run of games, three games that they should be winning those three games. You know, should they get those nine points, take some 60 quite easily. Uh, and that run into the end of the season should probably just about see them into the top four. And they could, they could well, you know, catch Leicester. You know, Leicester have 
Um, yeah, the FA Cup semi-final on their minds now. United don't. United have Europa League, so yeah, they could start dropping points at crucial stages of the season. So I, 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 I kind of more expect Chelsea to catch up with those two ahead of them rather than being caught from behind, uh, really. But I think Spurs are the ones. Liverpool would have to go on a massive run. Uh, you, you can't, you can't count them out because they're more than capable of doing that. They just haven't really had it this season uh, at all. And Everton on the same points as Liverpool, but I just Everton are so. So Jekyll and Hyde each week. You just don't know what sort of side you're going to get. And you can't see them getting that run of games together to actually challenge the top four. So personally, I think Chelsea are are, are one of the favourites for a top four spot uh, this season. It'd just be interesting to see if they, they manage to catch Leicester above them and and perhaps United above them. But yeah, the, the next few fixtures favour them particularly. But uh, I wouldn't count West Ham out at all. Yeah, I do agree with you guys that it is probably down to those two. Just the fact that they're that that extra step closer than Tottenham and Liverpool and Everton, I think definitely uh, is in their favor, although they're all level on matches played as we record. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that how that all shakes out. And Jake, it's very curious hearing you saying that, that you think Chelsea will push up even further. I'm sure that's not welcome news to mm. Jim. You're already insulting Jay. I don't know, man. You're, <laughs> you're kind of creating some enemies here on the show. But, uh... I don't plan to be on this show next season, so I might as well go out. <laughs> <laughs> Oops, got yourself. All right, well, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, and we are back. Jim, we'll start off with you talking about Leicester. Uh, first of all, congrats on the win. Uh, pretty exciting for you, I'm sure. First FA Cup semifinal in almost 40 years. Obviously, no fans, bit of a disappointment in that regard. But just how much does this mean to the fan base? And we were just talking about trying to balance multiple competitions. Do you think this will cause any issues in your run for the top four? I I hope not. I mean, it was interesting today to see Brendan Rodgers basically go full strength um, in the quarterfinal because although it's not always been Brendan Rodgers, the last few years have seen Leicester make the quarterfinals quite a few times. We've we've lost twice to Manchester City in the Carabao Cup, I think the League Cup, um, after naming quite weakened teams. Um, and it's been a real kind of bugbear of the fan base, even in a kind of relatively good period, that we regularly look the opportunity to get to a semi-final and rotate heavily and then go out and then it's a case of oh, what might have been and yes you can often point to things like chasing a Champions League spot um, or you know the Europa League this year for a reason to to rotate but um, 
it's it's been really interesting and i hope that this year kind of maybe the fact that it i wouldn't say it's a blessing in disguise but maybe one of the positives from going out of the europa league at the point that we did was that we could double down on the focus of the domestic competitions because i don't think we would have been able to play that squad today had we had to play in midweek um i think we would have ended up with rangers which is who slavia prague played who knocked us out so um Maybe there's a kind of unintended positive there in the sense that we can focus a bit more on the FA Cup, which is something that the fans have wanted desperately because, I mean, we won a domestic cup in 2000 against Tranmere, uh, the League Cup, uh, which was my first trip to Wembley um, as a kid. And um, But yeah, the FA Cup has always been a, a trophy for my lifetime anyway. As you said, Kev, I think it's been 39 years since we reached the semi-final um, in the FA Cup. So it's always been a tournament that's kind of eluded us. Um, and yeah, we've never, we've not got to this stage in, in a generation or two. So it's super exciting. And obviously we've got the relatively kind draw. You know, we've got the best draw possible, essentially, with, with Southampton. Um, albeit I wouldn't want to kind of count Southampton out, but as a team that have been um, good as often as they've been bad this year and have struggled with injuries as well. Um, I feel like every team struggled with injuries, but particularly Southampton, like they had a, a dismal run of form not too long ago. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a it's a winnable game. We'll be favourites for that on neutral territory. Um, you don't want to look past Southampton, obviously, um, but then a, a game, a one-off game against Manchester City or Chelsea would be just an amazing occasion. And as sad as it is that fans can't necessarily be there in person, it would still be an incredible experience. And, you know, we're just kind of, hopefully a lot of the fan base are just kind of grateful to, to see it happen, um, even if it's from further afield when we would have otherwise have hoped to be. Yeah, we'll certainly uh, look forward to seeing you playing in that match. Uh, the reason why you did advance, you could argue, was Kalechi Hianacho scored a brace today, eight goals in his last seven in all competitions. Uh, you and I have tweeted about it privately since this incredible I mean, run from him has yeah. started. But were there any hints that he was finally about to show some of the potential that he flashed at City that caused you to buy him in the first place? If there were, I didn't see them. Um, it was just... It, the turnaround has been remarkable. And I don't use that word lightly. Um, he looked like... I mean, it's clear that he is a um, a confidence player. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I've rarely seen a player that is so reliant on current form to sustain um, his, his kind of ability to play consistently than Nacho. And I think he, he's had a bit of a raw deal um at Leicester and probably is maligned maybe unfairly um it, he's had opportunities but often they've been in cups and stuff and I think he's felt not disrespected but I think he's felt kind of like he's got a point to prove but it's not really the opportune time for him to prove it because our, our formation has regularly been one up front with Vardy and it's like a 4-2-3-1 or a 3-5-2 that he's not been a part of um and bizarrely, it's actually like injuries to Madison and Barnes that have forced a bit of a rethink on the formation front. And it's meant that um, Iheanacho and Vardy have basically played together for a, the first time um, since Nacho joined. Because normally, uh, Iheanacho only gets games when Vardy's out or is being rested. Um, 
So a lot of the time he's expected to come straight into the team as a lone striker and perform, which is very, very difficult to do, especially if you're not match fit. Um, and it, it's just been incredible to see him. I mean, today, he you compare his performances today to like the sort of performances pre-Christmas. They are night and day. They are unbelievably different. He looks so much more confident. Every touch is brilliant. Every like he's taking balls on the half turn. He's playing through balls for Vardy, and like Vardy deserves a lot of credit, I think, for Ian after his form. As much as people are saying, I think he scored once in his last thirty-three shots, um, and that was an open goal. I think he's gone like eight or nine games without. I think it's one in his last sixteen games now. Uh, one goal in his last sixteen games, which is not a good record for a striker, obviously. Um, but I think he deserves an immense amount of credit for the amount of runs and space that he's created for Ian Acho to do his thing because I still think teams are absolutely petrified by Vardy's turn of pace um, and I think that has created an amazing amount of space for players like Ian Acho and Tielemans who who plays a bit more uh, deep on the, on the field and can step up like he did today. Um, he Vardy can detract um, kind of take attention away from um, Ian Acho and Tielemans and defenders will try and double team him will be drawn out of position because they're scared about his turn of foot and it just means that players like Nacho can get into the space and he's just he's on a roll at the moment like everything he touches turns to goal which is amazing to see um, it's just bizarre that it's come about on the basis of our two most creative players getting injured at the same time essentially yeah, certainly impressive for him to have turned things around the way that he has. Uh, just one last quick question. We don't need to get into this deep, but obviously uh, Roger's name keeps uh, popping up in all of the if Jose goes, who's going to be next mm-hmm. thing? How unlikely is that and how much would it cost? Um, firstly, I think it would probably cost more than Daniel Levy would pay. Especially um, since especially, it would also cost thirty million to keep paying. Exactly. Mourinho. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was the exact point I was going to make. So if you're going to sack a Jose Mourinho, um, Apparently, there's no break clause in his contract, which doesn't seem likely based on how shrewd of a financial operator Daniel Levy is. Mm. But if that's true, which has been kind of widely reported, um, then it would cost a significant amount of money. So I'm guessing you'd be looking at a free agent um, coach to come in because Rogers signed a new deal after the Arsenal um, furore of not too long ago before they appointed Arteta. Um, I think he was heavily linked with that job um, and signed a new contract, a new long-term deal, which kind of had the same desired effect, I guess, as the Kane contract that he signed a couple of years ago for six years in Mm. the sense of like worn off any potential suitors um, and make it very, very expensive for anybody that was serious about acquiring the services. I would be surprised if Rogers left I, I mean i'm not saying it definitely won't happen i would be surprised on the basis of leicester's standing in the league compared to tottenham's right now i would say tottenham and leicester are probably on a similar footing from an appeal perspective and you might disagree with me on that in terms of the squad quality maybe like we haven't got a player of harry kane's quality for example well you keep um, finishing up of us regardless well, yeah well exactly but like in terms of like if you take the last two or three years or four years is a, a microcosm. Both teams have had relative success. And I don't think that the the level of Tottenham's appeal is that of like a Manchester City, for example, um, or a Liverpool, which obviously Rodgers has managed before. Um, so I, I think if, if Rodgers is to leave, I think it will be for a elite club um, 
of that kind of very, very top tier where you're guaranteed a huge budget. A Champions League football is every year. Um, and he'll go from there. It, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? You, you like to think people are loyal to clubs, um, players and managers. But I guess we find out if the inevitable does happen and Jose isn't a Tottenham manager for at any point in the future. Like if if Rogers is really the man, I'm sure there's a deal to be done because humans are, you know, have their own free will. And if he wants to walk mm. away, then it might cost a lot, but I'm sure he could do it. I just I just don't see it being to Tottenham. Yeah. I don't want to say it's a sideways move, but I don't think it's enough of a step up to convince him it's his kind of next development because then if I was a Tottenham fan, I would always be thinking, well, what if the Manchester City job comes up? Or yeah. what if Liverpool decide that it's not Steven Gerrard to immediately um, replace um, Jurgen Klopp if he leaves? Um, you know, and they want to go back to Rodgers having seen what he can do back Ooh, in the Premier League. So, I don't know. I, I don't think that's actually really a goer because I do think they want Gerrard in the long run. But say, for example... Klopp did walk away. I don't think he will because I think he's very loyal. I think he wants to see out his contracts. But if he did, Roger's name would have to be in the mix, I think, based on what he's done at Leicester if he gets us into the Champions League and gets us to an FA Cup final, for example. like He'd have to be one of the names in yeah. the mix, even if it's not serious kind of shortlisted candidate. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think it would be very surprising if he left. He's building his own very talented young squad there that's finishing higher already yeah. and is arguably going to be in the Champions League. It would be a very weird move. Just felt like I had to ask. Uh, I Jake... think the key would be... Sorry, just one final thing. I think the key would be... The only thing that would dissuade him from that is if we went back to the mentality of we sell a couple of key players every season. I think if we can afford to keep key players and build a squad consistently, then he would stay. But if mm. we had to sell a couple of players every season and he felt like he was stagnating, then that might make him think otherwise. Yeah, I think that makes sense. All right, Jake, coming to you now to talk a little bit about Newcastle. As you know, uh, you were pretty uh, pessimistic as Fulham started going on their uh, run where they didn't lose matches for quite some time. I still thought you had plenty of matches left. You had four very good ones in a row. Then you won none of them. As things currently stand, how do you view Newcastle's rest of the season? You're still a couple of points up. You still have a game in hand. Do you think there's any chance of you still staying up or is this just the beginning of an even worse downward spiral for you? I thought you were going to start by asking if Steve Bruce would be interested in the Tottenham job because I keep getting told by all these pundits that he's a, <laughs> a great manager. So I'm surprised he's not, he's not in contention for that, to be honest. But um, I'm sure I'm sure his time will come. But um, yeah, it's, to be fair, I was quite confident last time I came on. I think it was after Southampton, maybe or after, maybe after Everton. Um, I can't remember which. But um, mm. yeah, we... we, we, we we sort of stumbled on a formation that worked well. Uh, Wilson and and Saint Maximana split strikers with Almiron pressing from the front. It looked good. Um, I think it was a lot to do with Graham Jones coming in. I think he he did a lot on on that formation. But Bruce is the manager, so he should get credit. But then the problem comes with the injuries, and um, we get injuries to those three players, and they just continue with the formation almost like like this formation was set up for those three players. And we just continued with it, and and against Aston Villa with Dwight Gale on the wing and Ryan Fraser up front, which was the weirdest thing I've ever seen on a football pitch. Um, yeah, it's it's not great. And um, Steve Bruce, I, I mean, you, you've just spoken about this bad run of form we're on, but Steve Bruce said we've been playing well recently, apart from yesterday. So, um, oh, good to know. Yeah, apparently we want to get back We want to get back to that form, which is t- it, it, two wins in 20 matches, and if anybody's uh, wondering what that form is. So I'm, I'm hoping we get back to it too, because um, that's what we need to stay up, apparently. So uh, let's hope we can get back to that. But 
yesterday was terrible. He, he spoke about it like it was a must-win game. And if anybody watched that match, it was one of the worst performances you'd see from a Premier League team. Um, there was It was abysmal. From two minutes in, Brighton had like three players in our penalty box and we had two defenders. It was, it was terrible. Um, we didn't get close to scoring a goal. I think Ryan Fraser hit the post, but it, it would have been an incredible goal had it had gone in. So we, we created very little. Um, Brighton were, in, were just so much better than us. And uh, Steve Bruce, I'll just read you his post-match quotes on Brighton, which, which show you what we're dealing with, um, with Steve Bruce. He said, I was absolutely shocked with Brighton. No disrespect to Brighton, but they were so far in front of us in every department with the ball and without the ball. It's almost like he's looked at the league table and thought, "Oh, Brighton are only one point ahead of us. They must be. They must be. They must be quite similar to us, to be honest." And it, how can a Premier League manager say that? It's incredible. Um, I think with him, he's, he wants a payoff. Um, I think he knows he's done. I think everybody knows he's done, apart from Mike Ashley, who he's come out today and said he's supporting Steve Bruce because of his experience, and he wants to show loyalty for, to, to Bruce because Bruce has been loyal to him. So. Yeah, um, that experience is, uh, I think he's got the lowest win win rate of any manager that's taken charge of 200 or more Premier League matches. So that experience is, is not great. It's, I don't understand what, what, what Mike Ashley's thinking is going to happen here. I don't, like anybody who watches Newcastle now, there was a, there was a little bit of spark um, when, when they brought the new coach in. But the last few games have been terrible. We've, we've played Wolves, we've played Villa, we've played West Brom, we've played Brighton. We've taken three points from that. Like, I mean, we've only lost one of them, but it's not great. They, they, they were four games that we should have been looking at to take seven, at least seven points from to push us on. Um, I think we're unlucky against Wolves. We've had a lot of good chances, but it's, it's just got worse with every game. And I think the players look like they don't believe in Bruce anymore. They, they, there was absolutely no passion on the pitch. Like, if, you, if you're going into your most important game of the season, you'd expect to, to have lucky yellow cards, look some tackles flying in. At least the players shown that they cared, but they just didn't yesterday. There was, there was nothing. It was such a passive performance. And yeah, if, if he's still in charge against Tottenham in, in two weeks' time, which looks like he will be, the only thing that, that might push him out is, uh, I think um, there's rumours building on social media that the players might go and, because the, the players are, unhappy at the reports that he's going to keep his job and that they, they might go above his head. That might be the only thing that can force a change. But even if they got rid of him, they just give it to Graham Jones for the rest of the season. And I don't think he's the answer. Like his, 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 his magic, his magic formation that got us a couple of wins has, has been figured out. And we just, every game we, we get doubled up on, on the flanks and so many chances get created down there that I don't think he's the right man. I mean, he got sacked from Luton town last year when he was a manager. So it, whatever way you look at it, Newcastle should be relegated. But with all that pessimism, um, you know, we, we are still in 17th position. Then we've still got games to play and, you know, no, nothing is guaranteed in football. Like Newcastle could, could turn up next week or a couple of weeks time against Tottenham and beat them. It, that could easily happen. I think Callum Wilson will be back. I think St. Max Man will be back. That could easily happen. But based on, on last night's performance, I just don't think the players have got the desire to put in the performance that we'll need to get that result. So I just can't I can't see anything other than the Newcastle relegation at the moment unless something big changes. But even if they did stay up, we'd just be back here in 12 months' time talking about a relegation fight. It's just... It's just I, I can't see where the progress is going to be made. Um, 
like Jim is just spoke about Leicester being in the Champions League places, um, getting to a, an FA Cup semi final. I think when Rogers came in, there was like four points separate in Newcastle and Leicester. Obviously, the, the infrastructure is so much different. But at that point, we had Rafa Benitez. We could have. There was the opportunity. That was the opportunity for Mike Ashley just to, to leave the club alone and let it run on itself. But he couldn't do it, and he's just brought in a manager that has consistently failed in the Premier League, and he is reaping what he has sowed. Unfortunately, now if we get relegated, he deserves it. The fans don't deserve it. Um, but it's getting to the point now. Newcastle fans don't care. I don't, this will be the relegation that least affects the fan base, and it, it's it is awful. Like. All the bad press Newcastle fans get for 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 their unreasonable demands. I don't think anybody can look at what's happening and say Newcastle fans are unreasonable to want something more. Like it's not even we want to be challenging for Europe or anything like that. We just want to be aiming to be the best we possibly can be. And at the moment, we're not. We are a hollow shell of a club. We are an embarrassment to the Premier League name, really. And if we go down, we absolutely deserve it. Definitely scathing reviews there. Also, what a lovely mental image of a public backing like Steve Bruce got and then the players being like, no, 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 <laughs> don't back him. We're not on board with that. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I agree. You are kind of stuck in a cycle right now and you do have to wonder like what would have happened if the takeover had gone through in the summer Would that finally have represented real change. But even without that, you still had what I, I think a lot of people considered to be a really good window. Obviously, two of the signings that people were excited about you getting were getting both Wilson and uh, Fraser from Bournemouth. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Newcastle's struggles. And I was talking about how, you know, Ramsdale might be uh, a little accountable for what's happening at Sheffield United. And obviously, he was bought from a relegation team. You got two other players from that same team. Not to cast aspersions at individuals. I know there have been individual injuries that you've been struggling with and obviously these managerial struggles. But is there any part of your brain that's like, this is a, a case for why you don't sign players from relegated sides? Um, I don't think so. I think that, I mean, without Callum Wilson, we'd already be relegated. So I think that he is every inch a Premier League striker. And if we went down, I'm sure there would be a, a clutch of Premier League clubs wanting to sign, despite having back-to-back relegations on his CV. Because, I, I mean, he, if he would have played the last four matches, I don't think we'd even be talking about Newcastle getting relegated. I mm. think that we, even with Steve Bruce, I think we would have picked up the points that we need. So I don't think I'd put it down to him. I think Fraser's been a bit of a disappointment. I think that he, he he was waiting for something better. Nothing better came along and he doesn't really want to be at the club. I think you can see that when he plays. Um, but yeah, he's, they've, just, they've just entered an, an absolute basket case of a club with a... With when the takeover fell through, like there's nobody on the day-to-day planning. Like we, I read a a, a piece this week that was comparing Brighton with Newcastle, and we came up in the same year. But it's just chalk and cheese when you look at what's going on. They they're a they're an, an ambitious club. They're openly communicating with their fans. It they they're in a similar league position, but I don't think they're going to be in the sim. If, if you said five years time, where are the two clubs going to be? I can't think they're going to be anywhere near each other. So it's difficult. I I don't think it's bad signing relegated players. I think that you just look at um, Wijnaldum and and Robertson are probably the the leading players, leading examples from that. They've won Champions League and a a Premier League with Liverpool. So I don't think that's that's the problem. Um, But yeah, it's, it's just a strange one with Newcastle. It's like... 
it, it's like now I've even got past the point of wanting Bruce to go. Like I'd be happy if it happened, but it's just pushing the problem down the road. We'd we'd end up hiring somebody like I don't know Chris Wilder. He might come in and do all right for a bit, but we'd be back in this position in in, in a year or two years time. So it, this is this is what what is happening to Newcastle is nothing to do with the players we've signed. It's just a it's just a gradual terminal decline that's happening across the whole football club and the whole infrastructure has got nothing to do with the signings we we could mm. go and sign i don't know we could go and sign some of the best players in the league i still think that we continue to continue to get worse so i'm not gonna put any blame on them especially as callum wilson has been so important and, and it's the reason why we've even got a chance of keeping our premier league status Gotcha. Well, then I apologize to Callum Wilson and Ryan Fraser. In Premier League clubs, good news, you can keep signing players from relegated teams uh, on budget deals. Uh, all right, Jay, we'll come to you and finish up talking about Crystal Palace. Um, listeners know that we, all of the time, get caught talking about strikers or Wilfred Zaha. Um, but I wanted to talk about the creative aspect of the team. Obviously, you had bought Max Meyer. He was supposed to kind of be that solution as a creative midfielder, but... Didn't work out. You bring in uh, Eberi Eze, who has had a very good season, leads the team in chances created, but it's only 30, which is 36th best in the league this season. And I was just wondering if to get the best out of new signings like Mateta, like Eze, maybe even try to get the old guard firing again like Ayu and Benteke, who admittedly has had uh, some better matches of late. Do you think uh, an easy solution there is just to sign a number 10, or do you think you'll just need to change the tactics moving forward if you wanted to get a bit more consistent creativity and attack i think the key thing is that roy hodgson is very stuck in his ways he has adapted a fair bit but actually you know roy is a manager who uses a training pitch to the best of its ability so the whole week is based on the tactic for the game coming up and you can tell that from a game you know on a saturday or Saturday, whenever the games are played these days <laughs> it's different every week i think um <laughs> but 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 yeah you know, he, he substitutes substitutions are quite late in the game. So he's very stuck in his ways in terms of how he wants his team to play and how we how we set out. You know, Eze never got in, didn't get into the team at the start of the season until he, he made a cameo appearance and played really well. And I think that kind of forced Roy into the actual viewpoint that, you know, we, we could have, we could play with the likes of Eze and Wilf in the same side, which, um, you know, both very talented players in their own right. Wilf is obviously far, much farther down the line than, than Eze is. But, you know, th- that was a surprise to, to a lot of Palace fans. And a lot of Palace fans are calling for it. Why can't we play, you know, uh, an attacking lineup, you know, with the likes of him, Benteke, Ayu, um, and, and Townsend coming in? Uh, you know, we, we do have those creative players. But unfortunately, in the in the I say defensive minded, but we've shipped a lot of goals this season. So you can't you can't say we're we're as defensive minded as as we have been a lot, um, you know, in, in previous seasons. But it, it's been it's been a very odd season for Palace, really. When you look at you know by getting Eze in the it, it, was it a summer? I can't remember even whether it was even a yep. summer now. Was it? It was a late yep. late summer even, wasn't it? It was a very short space of time. But Eze played a lot for QPR as a as a kind of number ten. Um, and, and Palace fans' viewpoint was that he was never going to get that opportunity at Palace because that is a role we, we we rarely play. He's had a couple of opportunities to play that floating role behind the main striker, but it's never really worked out. And, and on that, on the downside of trying to fit in players like Wilf and Eze into a team like Palace, 
you know, we got spanked 7-0 by Liverpool. And that was one of the main reasons. We, You know, Roy didn't change the team up because we'd been playing well up to that point, or relatively well, at least anyway. And we went into that game thinking, you know, we could, you know, maybe we could, ha- you know, get behind Liverpool with the likes of Eze, with the likes of Wilf. And, you know, unfortunately that day, everything they hit went in. And it was just what one of those one of those games, unfortunately. But, you know, you put it down to the fact that Perhaps if we just had Wilf playing uh, and, and maybe Townsend on the other side is, is much more defensively minded than, than SA is and much more experienced, then it probably wouldn't have got hit quite so much as that one. But, you know, that, that's just the downside of actually trying to play players, creative players in the role. I, I think there is a there is a separate issue in that, you know, we do play two defensive minded midfielders, you know, in, in Luka Milivojevic is our, is our main guy. And then it's one of him and... Uh, another more like most recently, Jara Riederwald has had a, a lot of game time this season and, and played really well. Um, but yeah, Max Meyer is an odd one. You know, he came to the club. Uh, a lot of European sides are very interested in. Him. He fell out with Schalke, and yeah, a lot of clubs, you know, were, were after him. Um, very highly rated. Uh, came to Palace and and never really had an opportunity. Uh, never really kind of fitted in. And you, know, you have to say that. You know, managers and coaches see players day in, day out on a training pitch. And if they don't see enough, then, you know, they're not going to get the game time. So, you know, whether it's that, I don't know. You know, he was a kind of, it's an odd one because without seeing too much of him, Palace fans wanted to see him play. Um, not probably as much as Eze because Eze's come into the side and, and shown what he can do, you know, on more than one occasion. Uh, Max Meyer had opportunities here and there, not enough game for a player like him to probably, you know, nail down a, a starting spot. And it just, it just didn't work out for us really. It, just, it was a shame, you know, players have come and gone at Palace like that, who who haven't had a run of games in the side and, and have never, never really fitted in for whatever reason. But, you know, it's not that it can't happen because as they did just that, you know, he, I think he was on the bench for the first two games of the season in, in on the third game, probably came in as a sub and a second and showed enough to get into the side. And he, you know, he, he's played a lot of football this year. So yeah, it, it's difficult to know what happens behind the scenes. Um, we are crying out for some creativity when Wolf isn't playing, but actually, you know, we've banished that hoodoo this season. You know, we managed to get five points when Wilf was out injured, um, which, which is which is really nice to get that noose from around our neck because it's, you know, it's a common it's a common talking point. Um, yeah, ben Teke's come good latter part of this season. He's he's been scoring goals, playing well as a lone striker. Um, I have to say, some of the performances this year have been fairly turgid, but I think that's probably more to do with the fact that. You know, we have been playing, you know, fairly defensive-minded midfielders, and there is a bit of a gap between the front line and and those midfielders. But on the flip side, you know, contrary to what the media talk about Liverpool and their injury crisis, we've had injuries all over the place this year. You know, we could play an injury eleven against our starting lineup each week. We've had um, up to twelve, thirteen players out on one week. Um, uh, uh, it's it's been a season. Just like that. I mean, the likes of James, Tom- James Tompkins, who would easily get into our starting lineup. Mamadou Sacco has been so injury prone. You know, players like that. Wilf was out for, he missed about four games, five games even, I think it was. So, you know, we, we've had a lot of injuries, which has gone under the radar. And a club like Palace, it, that is very hard to, you know, to put out a starting eleven each week, whether or not you can put, you know, some weeks we couldn't put nine players on the bench um, simply because of the, 
youth team bubble and all that kind of stuff that goes alongside it is you know it's been a real headache for for, for palace and mm. thankfully we've had players come back uh, from injury and uh, and yeah I, we we've seen some you know rough football this year but you know when you look at the table we're you know we've got our 10 wins this season we're we're pushing for a top 10 spot whether we can actually achieve that i i think i think it's within our within our powers to do that but we've got you know, we've got some tough games between now and the end of the season. And, you know, we're sitting here 11 points away from Fulham, who are third bottom. And, you know, from, from that perspective, get over the 40-point mark just to make sure. And, and we're pretty much OK. But, you know, there is that question mark about, you know, do we stretch ourselves and and try and achieve that bit more? I know Palace fans want us to, um, but it's it's that difficult one, isn't it, in the Premier League? You know, we've seen clubs that have tried to, tried to do that, tried to stretch a bit further. Um, and and look and look what's happened to them. They're no longer in the Premier League, so it, it's a difficult one because you know on one side I'm hearing what Jake's saying about Newcastle. You know we're certainly nowhere near that kind of scenario, um, and you know we have played some decent football this year on, on 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 a few occasions, and we've beaten some big sides. You know we've beaten we've beaten United away two seasons in a row, and we've never done that. We, we it's been such a long time since we actually got a result against United. So you know we we've had some we've had some highs, we've had some lows, but you know we're sitting in twelfth place, thirty seven points with what uh, nine games to go, and I'm relatively happy with that. Gotcha. Unfortunately, we're, we're quickly running out of time. So this is just going to end as a yes-no question. We talked to Sam <laughs> about this a couple of weeks ago, obviously, uh, writes for the Eagles Beacon as well. Mm. Um, mm. And it was about Roy Hodgson and whether or not he thought he would be there next year. So I just want to get the same quick take from you. Is Roy Hodgson Crystal Palace's manager for the 2021-2022 season? Oh, yes or no? Um, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> um, it, it, it's not a yes or no answer because the club could quite easily just to get us through the next 12 months because we don't know what's going to happen over the next 12 months from a you know, uh, a pandemic perspective and obviously football perspective. He could well be handed another year's contract. I'm of the opinion myself that actually might be time to move on and change things up a little bit, get somebody else in, fresh ideas, um, that kind of thing. But that's not to say I haven't you know, appreciated what Roy's done. He's given us stability and that's hugely important in the Premier League. Gotcha. Well, in future, we can talk more about that and, and the legacy that he might be leaving behind if he ended up leaving. But if he's not going to, seems a little early to eulogize him as Crystal Palace <laughs> manager. All right, uh, we will wrap up there. So if you'd like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, I'm Jim. You can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. Yeah, thanks for listening. You can get me on Twitter at Jake Jackman with two ends. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm Jay. I'm from the Eagles Speak and the Meridian Sports Show. So um, you can get me on Twitter on both accounts at the Eagles Beak and at the Meridian SS. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable. You can also find it via... Uh, Spotify or iTunes or any of your favorite podcast things with its name, EPL Roundtable. So be sure to do that, although it seems as though you already have if you're already listening to this. Uh, But yeah, thanks to you guys so much for coming on. It was a pleasure. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.